This is a download from Sarah Fraser and Associates Limited. For more resources, please go to sfassociates.biz. Welcome to this edition of In Conversation with. And with me today is Brian Davies. And we're for, for this one, we're actually in England, which makes a change. Brian, if we start, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your role in the airline industry. Well, I've been in the airline industry more years than I can calculate, and then I started at the age of 16 as a, a young engineering apprentice with a, a, a British airline, and I'm now 64 and I'm still in the industry, so I'll leave you to do the arithmetic, but there's lots of grey on top of my head. and. I've spent the first 25 years of my life working exclusively in the engineering and technical side of airlines and ended up as chief engineer of British Airways and, and left them after 25 years and uh, went into what we regard as the independent sector of the aviation industry. And uh, ended up with the second largest UK airline British Caledonian as their technical director which then got taken over by my old employer British Airways and I suddenly found myself back with my old company which is not, <laughs> not an experience I would recommend to, to people and uh, as a result of that I left engineering and became uh, a generalist and ran a geographic unit of British Airways, the Gatwick operation which uh, involved forcing together a number of disparate groups who had all been taken over by British Airways and I had the uh, interesting experience of trying to get them to work together and, and actually produce a result that people appreciated and from that moment onwards I've sort of dipped in and out of the technical side of the business but largely being a generalist and after a number of uh, years quite turbulent experience. I, th I then uh, found myself in Africa uh, as the chief executive of Kenya Airways, which was uh, one of the worst airlines in the business at the time, and was fortunate enough to, to live through a period where we were able to transform it as a, a small team of us from a, a basket case into probably the most successful airline in Africa. It's now a private sector. It's been profitable every year for ten years throughout all the turbulence in the industry. So I've, I've been through a lot of change, mm -hmm. seen some interesting things and I'm, I'm still learning every day. That's really interesting. Thank you, Brian. Brian, I thought we'd, um, we'd just been talking before we started this about safety. Um, one of the topics we were, we've been talking about leadership and organisation safety, but we, we got on, privately we were talking, got on to the topic of zero defects and you had an interesting take on that with your experience in the airline industry and I'd be interested to share that. Yes, it's, it, it's a common misconception that quality and safety starts with zero defects but in the real world you've got two issues there. One, one is that zero defects quite often is uh, a level of quality that is not necessarily uh, necessary and secondly if you've got human beings built into mm -hmm. the, the process human beings are fallible they are not 
capable of mm -hmm. producing zero defects as human beings. So what we've done in the airline industry is do two things. One is we've tried to establish an acceptable level of failure. And during my career I was involved in part of the, the early days of the automatic landing systems on aircraft where you rather hope they don't fail when you're Absolutely. allowing them to yeah. land the aircraft. But the reality is that mm -hmm. they are designed to have one failure in 10 to the minus 6 occasions. Mm -hmm. well, that's, that's not the right mm -hmm. way of describing it. But what it effectively says, you're allowed to fail 1 in 10 million times in the automatic system landing the aircraft. And the view is, and it's a commercial view, in that the public would tolerate that. Mm -hmm. And, and, and you can design a system that is capable of achieving that. So it's pragmatism built into it. The second part is the, the human being aspect, and that is you, you cannot stop human beings erring, erring. So what you do is you make the systems fault tolerant. So rather than zero defect, you've got two, two things there. One is, yes, the systems will fail, they're allowed to fail occasionally, and secondly, you design it so that when they do fail, you don't kill anybody. It, it's tolerant to a certain level of failure. And that, that's a much easier thing to achieve, but it's also more complex in terms of, of how you actually achieve those solutions. Right. I can see how also that would help people understand when something does go wrong or does it help with the blame culture because I'm, I'm just trying to think with a comparison with healthcare one of the issues we have is helping people understand that they're not being blamed when something goes wrong well I think that is important yes and, and, and one of the huge struggles in the aviation industry is trying to protect and preserve the no blame culture that actually exists within the safety systems um, and the problem we've got there is that particularly when it's an, an aircraft accident and people die, mm -hmm. in many countries around the world, by law, the, the judiciary or the police initially mm -hmm. are required to in, conduct a formal investigation to find out who's to blame. Right. Whereas we in the industry actually say, well, hang on a minute, you know, we, we know people fail. That's what people do. They don't do it deliberately. Pilots don't deliberately fly the aircraft into the ground and kill themselves mm. unless they are suicidal. Mm -hmm. And there aren't too many of those about, thank goodness. Um, so, so you know, the no-blame culture is a key part of uh, having a mm -hmm. learning system mm -hmm. which improves safety. So every, every failure is a learning experience and adds to the fund of knowledge to make the, the future that bit more safe. That's the, the culture, that's the thinking that is within the industry. It's, unfortunately, it isn't the thinking external to the industry. Yeah. The reaction is somebody's done something wrong, somebody must be to blame, we want retribution, which is actually quite fatal to safety. So you mentioned their culture and getting the, the no-blame culture. So I've also worked in the, the oil industry, which has safety as number one, and it's always been very difficult for me to understand how, we, how do we get a safe culture and this concept of safe culture. And I wonder what your experience is of that, and particularly the leader's contribution to safety in an organisation? Well, I, I think the way I would define culture almost explains it, and it's the way we do things around here. And, and that's a leadership issue. And the, the leader decides the way we do things around here, ultimately. And within our industry, 
it's broader than that because it's because safety is global. Although each part of the world has its own regulatory authority mm -hmm. and its own rules, mm -hmm. we all have a common set of rules, and mm -hmm. that is the way we do things in our industry is this to, in order not to kill people, and that that so it's leadership beyond. It's external leadership first, mm -hmm. but within any particular airline or organisation, it is, the, it is the, the leader, the CEO, who actually says, yes, we're, we're going to stick to this to the letter. And so it's, it's sort of bred into the organisation rather than simply regulated into the organisation. And the, the only successful way I've seen safety culture develop is actually bottom-up, not top-down and that you've got to go right to the very bottom of the organisation and talk about what makes individuals safe, feel safe, and feel supported within the organisation, mm. and then you build up to actually produce an end result which is safe for the end user of whatever the product is. Mm. I guess these things always sound more simple in the talking about it. It's mm. difficult sometimes to imagine how it can work. Have you, have you personally ever experienced an unsafe operation or unsafe incident? And if so, what leadership actions did you take to improve it? Just to give us an example. It, it, it's difficult to be very specific, but I have on many occasions um, come across situations where people go outside the rules. Mm -hmm. And when there is a subsequent incident and you carry out an mm -hmm. investigation and the prime reason for the investigation as I say is to learn you discover that part of the chain of events that, that caused the accident or yeah. if you're using a Swiss cheese concept you know the way, mm -hmm. where it slipped through the holes is because somebody didn't stick to the rules and when you talk to them and, and say well what, you know, why, why didn't you stick to the rules you know what the rules are well we were under pressure Oh. Well, mm. what, is, what is this pressure? Mm -hmm. Well, you know what it's like. You know, I, I, if you're talking to an engineer, because if you talk to a pilot, they're not mm. going to try and kill themselves. You talk to mm. an engineer, you know, he might kill somebody else. He's mm. unlikely to kill himself. Um, you know, he will say, "Well, you know, I know I had to get the aircraft serviceable by seven o'clock in the morning, so you know, I had to cut corners in order to to, mm -hmm. to get it ready on time." And, and you sort of say, "Well, why do you cut corners?" Well, because I'm under pressure from above to do it. And on, on those occasions, I found the most powerful thing you can do as a CEO or a leader is to say, you know, have I ever asked you to break the rules in order to achieve the result you're trying to achieve? Yeah. Tell me when I have. And they never can. They never can. And you can say to them, yes, I want you to work as hard as possible to try and achieve the end result, the commercial result for the customer. Mm -hmm. But, you know, never, ever will I and have I asked you to actually break the rules to do it? So any pressure that you're feeling is something you've generated for yourself. And, and getting people to accept that is, is very difficult because mm -hmm. you, know, you talk to anybody who's in particularly a service industry mm -hmm. and they all feel pressure mm -hmm. to, to deliver a result. Mm -hmm. but, but it is quite often a, a, an internal pressure. It's a good thing. But yeah. It has to be balanced by uh, the fact that you you recognise the pressure, but also recognise when to say stop. And I can see how they continually do a, an upwards blame, particularly on mm. management, as to where that pressure comes from. Yes, interesting on that one. 
Brian, if you were, and this is perhaps a, a difficult question, but Brian, if you were advising a health service chief executive, is there anything specific that you would have as a key message or uh, an idea, a thought, big picture, or maybe something quite specific? Well, I think the probably the big picture message is that, that in order to create a safe environment, and to use it as broad mm -hmm. as that, you know, safe for the employees as well as safe for the the end user, the, 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 mm -hmm. the patient. Um, there are a huge number of technical things you can do. You know, there are measurement systems you can put in place, there are processes, uh, all of these things that can be learned from other industry. But the most powerful thing of all is actually safety culture. Mm -hmm. If you can generate within your team the culture which says mm -hmm. the way we do things around here is safe, that mm -hmm. has the most powerful effect beyond everything else, and uh, you know even even in my my personal life, mm -hmm. you know I'm a private pilot. I got my own aircraft. I built my own aircraft. I know it backwards. I still check every time I fly. I have a checklist, and I go through the checklist, and I say, is this switch in the right position? Is this doing that? Have I checked this? You know, are the wings still firmly attached? I know they're firmly attached. I built them but I still check every time because it's built into me. It's part of my mm. psyche. But mm. we always do that. That's what we always do. And in many industries, that seems to be lacking. You know, there, there isn't the, the rigour mm. of that. But you can't impose that rigour. It's got to be bottom-up. It's actually got to be part of people's makeup almost. Yes, that's very powerful. So... In summary, what I'm hearing from you is it's very easy to put in place a few regulations and a few checklists, but they don't, they can never take away from the fact that the culture needs to be in place for something permanent and sustainable to be there that will, will really bring the, the permanent sense of culture and will, and will actually bring the right outcomes. Yes, and, and there also needs to be peer pressure mm -hmm. to, to protect us from those who. Mm -hmm. who, who are not part of that and, ah. that, and that's only yeah. a, a key part of the, the culture um, I mean I, I just an example that mm -hmm. comes to me from a question you asked earlier mm -hmm. you know about I, I was I was going around an organization uh, as a visitor uh, talking to the, the foreman of a, of a particular unit in an aircraft maintenance organization and uh, he was working on or had somebody working on a part and uh, he was asked, well, when, when will this part be serviceable? And the guy said, well, I've got to wait till after half past four when the quality manager goes home because the only way <laughs> I'm going to get this fixed is to do something that's against the regulations and I've got to do it behind his back. And it shocked me, deeply shocked me. Now, this guy was an incredibly experienced person and, and what mm -hmm. he was doing mm. was in the best interests of the company and he knew what he was doing wasn't dangerous. Mm. But, you know, he needed peer pressure. Mm -hmm. It was no good his boss saying, don't mm -hmm. do that, because he'd already built in a system to subvert the boss, you see. Mm -hmm. What he needed was his peer pressure, the guys who were working mm -hmm. with him, to actually say, come on, Fred, you know we can't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, we have, to, we have to do it this way, because that's the proper way of doing it. That's the safe way of doing it. So no amount of regulations, because he knew all the regulations, mm -hmm. no, no amount of top-down would, would fix it. Very interesting. Okay, fine. Thank you very much, Brian. If anyone wishes to get in contact with you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Probably by email. Um, 
B Davies, which is all one word, uh, Davies I E S at Dercon, which is Delta India Romeo Charlie Oscar November. Now there's a bit of safety culture for you. Uh, dot co dot uk. Thank you very much, Brian.